If you have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to turn to James chapter 4. We'll be in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12 this evening, continuing our study. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is good to be with you tonight. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Lord, we come to your word And we ask that you would teach us from it. Lord, we want to be taught by your Spirit. So we pray that you would take the words which you moved the Apostle James to write almost 2,000 years ago. And Lord, you would make them fresh to our souls tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The year is 1865. 1865, Russian novelist Leo Tolstoy begins publishing chapter by chapter of a book which will eventually be known by the title War and Peace. This novel from Tolstoy is a masterpiece of Russian literature. For some of you, that may be a good thing. For others, that may not mean anything to you. It's a masterpiece. It it details the history of Napoleon invading Russia in the 19th century and, and works its way out through characters and through conflict to understand what's going on in society, what's going on in relationships, what's going on in the world during this time. It's a work of history. It's a work of philosophy. It's a massive work. My, my copy that I read 10 years ago weighed in at about 1,200 pages. That's a lot of Russian literature. 
And throughout that, what it's trying to grapple with is the effects of war upon times and peace. It's trying to grapple with how conflict affects our relationships and our trajectories for life. The characters are memorable, the plot is detailed, and Tolstoy's genius is displayed. But 1,800 years before Tolstoy wrote his novel, James also wrote about war and peace. He wrote about the heart of conflict, not, not military conflict, mind you, but personal conflict. And here in James 4, we see the reason behind the battle that goes on in our relationships. We see the heart behind the conflict. We may not be able to relate to Tolstoy's War and Peace, but we can all relate to the book of James. And thankfully for us, James doesn't do this in 1,200 pages. James does this in 12 verses. Today we're looking at War and Peace from the book of James, and what James writes about has far greater consequences than what Tolstoy did. And there's two points that we're going to write, that we're going to look at as we walk through. The first one, war. It's verses 1 through 5. The second one, peace. That's verses 6 through 12. And here's the main thing that James wants us to get from these verses. He wants to see that those who pursue sinful passions make themselves an enemy of God. But those who humble themselves attain peace with God and with man. Those who pursue sinful passions make themselves an enemy of God. But those who humble themselves attain peace with God and with man. So with that, we turn to James 4.1, war. James 3 doesn't end by talking about war, though. If you guys have your Bible open, just look up the page a little bit. James 3 ends with talking about the fruit of peace, what peacemakers produce. Verse 17 of chapter 3, But wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The wisdom that comes from above, the application of the fear of God to every area of our life, as we saw last week, it's marked by peace, and it produces righteousness. But when James looks around at the churches, looks around at Christians, looks around at those who call themselves Christians, he sees conflict. He doesn't see peace. He sees quarreling and harsh speech. Listen to verse 1 again. What, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? James sees conflict, and he diagnoses the problem. The outside conflict that's happening is because of warring passions. The reason these battles exist on the outside is because our desires are at war within us. Our hearts have conflict, and it overflows in conflict to those around us. Virtually every single one of us lives our life thinking that conflict is caused by those around us. 
Virtually every one of us thinks that the problem is external circumstances, other people. Maybe you view your conflict as being with your work that's just not paying you enough or just taking advantage of you. Maybe you feel your greatest conflict is with your spouse. If only they would listen to me and show me some respect, things would be better. Maybe you see it with your parents. My greatest conflict is the pressure that my parents are putting on me to get married or to get this job or to send home more money. Conflict is outside of us. It's with those people out there. But the reality is these external battles, and conflict does happen outside, but these external battles are actually far less significant than the internal conflict that's going on in our hearts. Every single one of us in this room carries our own greatest enemy within us. For example, let's go back to the scenario where you're trying to deal with your work because they're not paying you enough or they're, they're taking a cut of your paycheck that they didn't promise earlier. Unfortunately, this is a common experience or can be a common experience in the UAE as people are promised one salary and then they check their paycheck and it's not lining up. And it's good and right. It is good and right for us to want to be paid for the work that we do. It's good and right for us to want to be compensated fairly. And it's wrong when payment is withheld or deceitfully taken out, fines being applied for no reason. So the desire for justice, right, wanting to go to your work and wanting to work this thing out, that's not a sinful desire necessarily. That can be a good and right desire. But as you're walking into this meeting, maybe with your HR department, as you're walking into this meeting, let's be honest, that's not the only desire that's going on in your heart right then. What's another desire? Well, you have the desire to be seen as strong. I've heard they do this to other people. They're not doing it to me. I'm not a pushover. Or the desire is pride, in other words. You may have the desire to put them in your place, put them in their place. It's like, how dare they do this to me? I'm going to punish them. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get big and get strong, and I'm going to go right at them, and I'm going to put them in their place. The desire for revenge. You may have the desire for money, right? Thinking like, oh my goodness, I have no idea what I'm going to do if I don't get this money. I need this money. Give me my money. Greed. Or you may have the desire to win, not just to be seen justice done, but to be the one proven right in the end. Pride again. And so as you're meeting with your company, seemingly to see justice done, you also have all these other desires that are going on in your heart. And some of them do not honor the Lord. The desire for justice might, but those others, greed, revenge, pride, they're warring against you. And if you give in to those desires, then what's going to happen is the words that are going to come out of your mouth are going to bring death and bloodshed and dishonor the Lord. And as James continues, he, he shows why it's so important for Christians to get this. External actions of sin are always rooted and internal desires of the heart. Let me say that again. External actions of sin are always rooted 
and internal desires of the heart. With many things, we've already seen this in the book of James. In chapter 1, James says, Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. When it is fully grown, it brings forth death. Death comes from sin. Sin comes from sinful desires. So if we're going to understand why do we do the things that we do, why do we wreck every relationship that we enter into, we need to look not just at the things that we do, but at the things that we want. Not just look at our practices, but look at our passions. Not just look at our hands, but look at our hearts. And that's what James helps us see as he moves through chapter 4. Verse 1, what causes quarrels, what causes fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? And then he's explaining how this works out. You desire and you do not have, so what do you do? So you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. When we have desires, desires that we're going to give into no matter what, that we're going to get no matter what, and all of a sudden we don't get the thing that we want, we're willing to kill for it. Maybe not kill with our hands, but certainly kill with our mouths. They have something we don't. So we tear them down, cut them up. Unfulfilled covetousness leads to fighting and quarreling, James says. When we want something but we don't get it, we're willing to go to war for it. Maybe we want recognition. I don't like the fact that that person got that promotion and I didn't. Maybe we want money. Maybe we want a new job or a spouse or fame or comfort. We can even want things that are good, but want it with sinful motives. Either in unbelief in pride or in selfishness. That's what James says. You, you, you don't have because you don't ask. You think that you can get it on your own. That's why you don't have. You're not going to God in prayer asking for it. Or you do go to God in prayer, but you're asking for selfish reasons. Your motivation is all about you. The problem in our conflict, James says, is not in other people. <laughs> the problem in our conflict is in ourselves. It's with our passions. We have a divided heart. And when that divided heart fights against itself, a heart that's marked by unbelief, by pursuit of sinful pleasures, this fight will, it can't help but overflow to those who are around us. And it will destroy the relationships around us. And the primary relationship that it will destroy is our relationship with God himself. The conflict that James is talking about is not just with other human beings. He talks about our conflict with God. We become enemies of God himself. Look at verse 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes him an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it's to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously 
over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. James says when we give in to those sinful desires that are in our heart, there's one relationship that isn't destroyed. There's one relationship that isn't fractured. There's one relationship that's flourishing. We become friends with the world. The world loves your sinful desires. By the world, James isn't talking about like planet Earth. He's not talking about even necessarily stuff. What he's talking about is the system of rebellion that's going against God's purpose. You have the kingdom of God, you have the kingdom of this world. When we give in to our sinful desires, the world is so happy for us. When you give in to lust and watch pornography, the world claps you on the back. When you give in to covetousness and spend hours looking at the Ikea catalog, the world is so happy with you. When you blow up at your spouse, trying to get your way because it seems like they just run over you all the time, but not this time. The world loves it. You receive a warm hug from the world, James says. The world even invites you into its house. The world even invites you into its bedroom. And you become an adulterer. You cheat on God with the world. Because this world has become your lover, God has become your enemy. And God is a terrible enemy to have. Many of us can think, some of you here today, I'm sure, think that God is just merely gentle and kind and good. And he understands. He knows you're only human. He's for you. He's with you. He loves you no matter what. He knows you want to be happy. He knows that you may not want him all the time, but he's, he's willing to be there for you whenever you do want him. Some of you would call yourselves Christians, and that's the way that you think about God. And yet you're holding on to sinful desire in your heart. You know that you should let this sin go maybe with your mind, but it feels so good. And there's always time. God will always be there for me whenever I'm ready. Friends, that, that's a false God made after your own image. That's not the God of the Bible. That's not the God that James talks about here. The Bible teaches that the real God is terrifying in his holiness. He is a jealous husband who does not tolerate adultery. He is a righteous king who will not tolerate rebellion. He is a just judge who does not put up with sin. And if you go to war against him, jumping into bed with the world and warring against your spouse, what's going to happen is he will destroy you as an enemy. You cannot cheat on God with the world and get away with it. That's what verse 5 says. He's jealous for your affections, and he will not share you with another. And all of this starts in our hearts. Before we ever fall in love with the world, we fall in love with ourselves. 
And this is the first part that James is making. Those who pursue sinful passions make themselves enemies of God. If this is true, that God is who I just said he is, and we are who James says we are, then the most important question that we need to ask is how am I at peace with God? How do I not be an enemy of God? How do I be at peace with God? That's what we're going to look at now. We're going to look at peace. And according to James, peace with God, friendship with God, fellowship, reconciliation with God comes to the humble by grace. Verse 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The relationship that we have with God is marked by grace. We do not earn it. We do not fix ourselves up. What happens is God himself comes to us and draws us to see the beauty of holiness. He does that through the gospel of Christ Jesus. That as Jesus came, he made a way that we could have peace with God. That when we were yet enemies, Christ died for us so that whoever believes in him would change sides, that we would be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved son. But it comes to the humble. That's what James says. You cannot be proud and have this peace. Verses 6 through 10 are all about humble living before God. There's humility at the beginning in verse 6, and there's humility at the end in verse 10. In order to be truly a friend of God, we have to be humble. It's because God is not just our friend. He is also our king. He is also our Lord. C.S. Lewis, an English writer, argued that all sin, every sin that you commit, has its root in pride. All sin has its root in pride. And I think Lewis is right. Sin, what it is fundamentally, it's elevating yourself against God. James is going to say that later on. If, if you judge your brother, what you're doing is you're placing yourself above God's law, not under God's law. So when we sin, what we're doing is we're doing what's right in our eyes rather than what's right in God's eyes. We're doing what we want to do rather than what God wants us to do. So if we're going to withstand the attack of sinful nature, this old man that every one of us carries on, we need to fight for humility. We need to humble ourselves. We break up with the prostitute of pride, and we return to our husband in humility. And James gives us three promises for those who embrace the path of humility in submission to God. The first is that if we resist the devil, he will flee from us verse 7. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Those who genuinely resist the devil will experience victory. He will flee from us. Like a defeated army, he will leave the battlefield in retreat. But how is that possible? Because one thing that we know about Satan is that Satan is an incredibly powerful enemy. 
The Bible describes him as a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. Describes him as a dragon who makes war on the nations. We dare not take him lightly. And Satan, as an enemy, what makes him such a dangerous enemy is that Satan isn't mostly concerned about making your life harder. He's not mostly trying to put barriers in the way so that you don't have success in this life by a worldly standard. He's not mainly keeping you from getting a job or keeping you from getting healed or keeping you from getting ahead. What Satan is mainly trying to do is send you to hell. Satan wants to see your soul destroyed. And so if he can lead you away from worshiping God to worshiping the promotion that you want, to worshiping the new car that you desire, to worshiping the perfect family that you have. As long as you're worshiping someone other than God, Satan is satisfied. He will give you every promotion he can if it means that you fall in love with money rather than God. So how can we resist Satan? James says that if we resist him, he will flee. But if he's this powerful enemy, how can we resist him? Well, we can trust the promise that Satan will flee from us, not chiefly because of what we do, but because of what Christ has done. Christ crushed the head of Satan. We just sang about the power of the cross. The power of the cross is that when Christ was crushed for us, he also dealt a death blow to Satan. And the book of Romans says that God will soon crush Satan under our feet as well. Because of the work of Jesus dying on the cross in our place, the penalty of sin is removed from our lives. The power of sin is overcome by the Spirit. And Satan is crushed beneath our feet. He will flee when we resist him in faith. Because of Christ, Satan will flee from us. But we need to resist him. And this leads to the second promise. The second promise is that if we draw near to God, God will draw near to us. You may be sitting here and you may be thinking, how do I, how do I know that, that God will draw near to me if I turn away from my sin? I mean, sin sometimes feels like a guarantee that we have. I know at least for the moment I'll be happy. How do I know that if I say no to this, I'll actually get God the way that I want? And that's the promise. God will draw near to us. But we must draw near to God on his terms. Light has no fellowship with darkness. The proud will not experience the presence of God which is why we must make war on the sinful passions within us. That's why we must embrace God's way of drawing near to him, which is in repentance, recognizing the way that our sinful desires have made God an enemy and mourning that, turning away from them, not holding on to them, but letting them go in grieving the way that we've treated God Verse 8, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. 
Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. We don't strut into God's presence like we own the place. We don't don't proudly presume upon his presence. We draw near to God in humility and repentance. And we don't just confess the sinful things that we've done, but the sinful desires that we've had. If you read Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, that's what makes the Sermon on the Mount so convicting. So you realize that the way you look at people is something you need to confess. The things you feel about people is something you need to confess. We purify our hearts, as James puts it. We see that we've been on the wrong side of the battle, and we turn to God. And the promise that we have is that when we do that, we get God himself. I love Isaiah 57. Thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and the holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, revive the heart of the contrite. Draw near to God in repentance, and he will draw near to you. And the final promise that James gives is that if we humble ourselves before God, God will exalt us. Verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. The great irony of pride is that it promises glory, but it only delivers humiliation. (laughs) And the great glory of humility is that precisely by pursuing something other than your own glory, you are exalted. Those who humble themselves before the Lord will be exalted. If you pursue your own glory, you won't find it. But if you pursue God, you'll be glorified. Peace with God comes to the humble. We don't deserve this peace. It's all by grace. It's accomplished through the cross of Christ. And then take note, we're just going to quickly go over these, but in verse 11 and 12, what James is getting at there is he's showing the overflow of peace with God to our other people. Verse 1, James is talking about external conflict, and then he moves into the relationship with God. He then shows how we can have peace with God, but 11 through 12, I think, shows how we can have peace with other people, and it's through the same humility that we have with God. When we don't exalt ourselves above the law, but humble ourselves under the law, we won't speak those quarreling words of evil with our brothers. Instead, we'll have peace with them. Those who humble themselves attain peace with God and with man. That's the second part of the big idea that James is getting at here. So the whole idea that we've tried to see is that those who pursue sinful passions make themselves an enemy of God. But those who humble themselves before God attain peace with God and with man. James 4 teaches us about war and it teaches us about peace. The war around us, in our relationships, it comes from within us. It comes from the sinful passions within our hearts. And the peace that comes to our relationships will only truly happen when we have had peace with God, when we've been reconciled to God and humbled ourselves before Him. Which means that one major takeaway for us as Redeemer Church of Online 
One major takeaway for us is that our biggest problem is not our circumstances. I've touched on this already, but we, we can so easily think that what's going on outside of us is our biggest problem. That our biggest hindrance to happiness, it's not actually those around us. There are so many times that we can look at the relational conflict in our lives, look at the walls that we're running into, and just think, if it would just all go away, I'd be happy. If I just came home and everything was peaceful, then I'd be satisfied. If I didn't have to deal with this person every single week, then I wouldn't lose my temper. If I could only find a better job, then I wouldn't be anxious about money anymore. If I could only find a spouse, then I'd be content. I wouldn't ask for anything else. If I only had more time, I would read my Bible. I'll never forget an illustration. Don Whipple, pastor of Kasuth Street Baptist Church in Lafayette, Indiana, USA, gave me when Laura and I were doing premarital counseling. I'm sure I've used this illustration with a number of you who are here. What Don did is he was trying to help us see that the way that we relate to each other comes from our hearts. So he took a, a water bottle, or described, I can't remember if he actually took one or not, we took a water bottle, and he said, okay, this is a water bottle. What's going to happen if I take the lid off of it and if I shook it up? Say what any normal person would say. You take the lid off of the bottle, you shake it up, water's going to come out. So that's right. Why would water come out of the bottle? And the answer that every one of you is probably thinking the answer that Laura and I were certainly thinking is the obvious. Because you shook it. And Don said, no. Water came out of the bottle because water was in the bottle. You shake an empty water bottle, nothing's coming out. The way in which circumstances around us shake us, reveals the passions that are at war within us. Our circumstances shake us like a bottle, and out comes all sorts of responses. We sometimes think that when life is going well and we don't see any sin in our life, that we have attained a level of holiness, that we figured it all out. But then all of a sudden you get that WhatsApp message from your friend, and all the sudden you're, you're paralyzed with anxiety. Or our, our colleague treats us poorly and outspills anger. Money is tight. Anxiety comes. These sinful passions had been there all along. The water bottle just hadn't been shaken. But when this world shakes us, it reveals the passions that are at war within us. Which means, church, if we're going to have peace, we need to make war at the level of desires. We can't just go around looking for the right relationships. We can't just trust that if we only control the stuff that's outside of us, everything will work out. Because the moment that we become out of control or the moment we're put in a wrong situation, boom, our sinful desires that have been there all along are going to 
flood out of us. Our passions may make us happy for a moment, but the way that we fight against those warring passions at the level of desire is not by saying those won't make us happy. It's by saying those won't make us truly happy. We fight pleasure with pleasure. We fight passions with a greater passion, a passion for God, for fellowship with him. Psalm 16, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I'm not going to jump in bed with the world. I know that at God's right hand is all the pleasure that I could ever want. So when you identify a sinful desire in your heart, pride, greed, anxiety, covetousness, you make war at it by asking yourself, why do I want this? Has this ever made me truly happy? Has this ever satisfied me the way that God has satisfied me? Has this ever brought me the joy that God brings me? I want you, Jesus. I want you more than getting my own way because you're better than when I get my own way. I want you more than giving into this lust because you're better than lust. You're better than comfort. You're better than riches. You're better than revenge. Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth there is nothing that I desire besides you. Redeemer, the greatest thing in the world is that we would be at peace with God. So let's make war at our sinful desires so that they don't stand in the way. Lord God, you are good and you do good. Lord, we, we only can do this by the power of the Spirit. And so I pray that you'd help. Help us to pursue you. Help us to put to death the desires that are within us and to walk by the Spirit and not give in to the desires of the flesh because you are better and you are worth it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.